0: You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. The next time you walk around your neighbourhood, or if you work in a city, the area around your office, I'd like you to try something. As you walk down streets, past storefronts, try to picture what was there in 2019, before the pandemic and everything that's happened since. If you have that in your mind, compare it to what you see now. Which businesses have vanished? Which new ones, if any, have opened? Are there empty locations where stores or restaurants have closed but nothing has yet replaced them? Are there, by any chance, a lot of those? All the numbers that we have would point to yes, And that's true almost no matter where you live. Canadian small business insolvencies spiked last year to a level not seen in more than a decade. And insolvencies alone don't tell the whole story. Because a lot of business owners don't declare bankruptcy. They just close up shop and walk away. Now it might be worth hoping that the worst is behind us. The lockdowns of the pandemic are almost two years in the past. Perhaps this year, we'll see a correction. More business, more profits, more openings, and fewer closings. Look, it's nice to have hope. The problem is, a few weeks ago was the federal government's deadline for small businesses to pay back their pandemic loans. And a whole lot of them couldn't afford it. So... Here we go again. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Ryan Malo is the Ontario Vice President with the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. That uh, can't be too comfortable a job these days, Ryan.
1: I will say uh, there's never a shortage of things to do, and it is never dull.
0: Okay, well, let's... Go back uh, a few years, like I'm sure many businesses wish they could, and rewind uh, to pre-pandemic, or maybe just the beginning of the pandemic, once we realized this was going to be incredibly serious and everything would shut down. How quickly at that point did help for businesses become available? And for those who are not familiar with it, just briefly, like what kind of help was it?
1: So it was it was relatively fast and I say that because for government this was moving at light speed it was mm-hmm. not immediate but they did move fairly quickly as far as governments are concerned uh and the first piece that I believe we saw come in was the the wage subsidy help Uh, And one of the main drivers on that, aside from organizations like us at CFIB, was we started to see other countries do that very quickly. Denmark got on it fast. Sweden got on it fast. The UK, Australia, Ireland. Um, And so we noticed an immediate need for that. So the original program was a 10 percent wage subsidy um, coming from government, which was immediately – Uh, businesses were saying not remotely enough, not going to be helpful. And we saw that climb quickly to a 75% subsidy. That was the first piece that came in within a couple of weeks of the first lockdowns.
0: And as it became clear that these lockdowns were going to drag on and that people were not coming back uh, on foot traffic to retail stores or other businesses quickly, um, what else was made available? I'm asking this now to set the table because we're going to talk about them all vanishing.
1: Absolutely. So we saw federally, we saw three main programs join the wage subsidy. The first that a lot of individuals will be familiar with is CERB, and that was mm-hmm. the the individual benefit to help with people who weren't working, who were between jobs, or who were not affected by the the wage subsidy portion. The second one, which came in a a little bit later and not as quickly as I think as we would have liked, was the original program, I believe, was called c It was the rental assistance program for small businesses. Again, you've been locked down by government. Your rent is still due. Um, There was some help that was provided uh, from that. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the third one, which is the one that we've been focused on uh, throughout the last couple of years, was the CBA loan. And that was a, at the time, an up to $40,000 loan to help businesses sort of bridge the gap from being shut down to reopening. And the deal there was that you would get $10,000 of that forgiven as long as you paid 30 out of the 40 by the deadline. Late in 2020, I believe, there was an extension to that or an addition to that, which had added another $20,000, another 10 forgivable, totaling up to a $60,000 loan, $20,000 forgivable if you paid it by the deadline.
0: How well did it work? And by that, I mean, you know, can we tell now with hindsight uh, what would have happened without it, uh, what we'd be looking at if this money hadn't been made available?
1: I think it's not a stretch to say that these programs were absolutely essential uh, at the time I, I think too, and it's it's tough to remember all the way the way back into twenty twenty because the years seemed to all mesh together. but mm-hmm. when those first lockdowns were announced and i'm I'm from Toronto, and so my remembrance was the we killed St Patrick's Day right we wanted to make sure the restaurants and clubs were closed for that. When that first happened, everyone was talking about a couple of weeks, right? We just need, you know, two to three weeks to close. Then, you know, we'll be able to sort of stop this thing in its tracks and then we'll, we'll get back to normal. Yeah. Well, it was three years and you yo-yoed in between lockdowns. If you were, you know, a Toronto restaurant, you lost over 400 days to full closure, let alone the capacity limitations, the various zones that we went through, three opening stages. So having these government programs to help provide some, some financial flexibility to help bridge some of the gaps, to keep employees connected to their employers so we weren't going through a mass rehiring um, once we finally reopened were absolutely essential at the time to small businesses' survival. Uh, and I think if we didn't have them, it would be fair to say that we would be seeing um, a little bit what we're seeing now on the closure side a lot earlier and a lot uh, f- faster.
0: How long did those programs stay in effect and give us a sense of where they are now and how it compares to, as you mentioned, you know, the ebb and flow of pandemic closures? Uh, We are now fully reopened. We are still technically in a pandemic. But how long did the government aid continue as the pandemic did?
1: So the programs generally lasted through 2022, Was the bulk of them, which again, when we look at the the closure timeline, the last time that we were fully fully locked down, I believe was January 2022, and I think Mm -hmm. we were the last province. So they lasted for you know the the full two years, which was important. And then when it comes to the SIBA loan, the repayment deadline was ultimately extended to January 18th of this year, 2024. Um, So they were around for a fairly long time. I think one of the challenges a lot of small business owners feel, though, is that. When we started to reopen in 2022, I think a lot of us, myself included, really believed that, you know, this was it, that we were, you know, there were going to be some differences, but we were going to be back. And what we reopened to is certainly not what we closed to. Um, And that reality is why we've been fighting, why so many small business owners have been saying we need these programs to continue to exist or to get those deadlines extended um, because things are very different.
0: Describe that for me how different was it? What what was the difference between what you closed to and what you reopened to? Like, put me on the ground.
1: I think in some cases it may depend on where you are, but if you're in a major city, Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal, you are a dry cleaner, a restaurant that's downtown. You closed down to people coming into work five days a week. There was a natural lunch rush. There was sort of a, a cadence to everybody's week that was relatively similar, at least on, on the office worker side. What you reopened to was initially not just the hybrid work that we're starting to see kind of firm up now in the two to three days a week for a lot of office workers, but really still a lot of remote work where people weren't coming in at all. There was no lunch rush or the rush that, you know, was a few thousand people uh, back in 2019 was now maybe a hundred. That's a huge, huge difference when you had built your business around the cadence of the work week and now the work week's not there. Um, the other side of that was we opened to start seeing a cost of living crisis really take hold. We saw inflation skyrocket, which had impact on all of us as consumers, but a huge impact on businesses as well, which started to affect spending. So restaurants that were really relying on people being excited to get back out, to you know get onto patios again, to go out to eat again, were finding that people didn't have the same kind of disposable income that mm-hmm. instead of going out maybe two, three times a week, it was once a week or once every couple of weeks that had a major impact too. So there was a whole psychological change, let alone financial reality change that was really there uh, when we reopened as well.
0: Let's talk about the financial reality. Then these programs went up to most of them the end of 2022. What was 2023 like? What was last year like for small businesses in Canada?
1: So I, I think there was some optimism heading into the year that, you know, this is the first the first year where we are are really from a business sense free of the pandemic right we're not mm-hmm. entering the year into lockdowns there isn't really a threat of lockdowns happening um this is going to be sort of the the bounce back year and what we saw was uh you know we we measure small business optimism at CFIB and we saw optimism kind of crater within the first couple months of the year because we started to see interest rates starting to creep up. And that was having a major impact, again, both on consumer spending and on business operations. We started to see, uh, you know, not just the realities of it, but also the the psychological hold that, you know, the threat of recession was was very real. And that's having an impact on people as well. Um, And just not seeing consumer habits return, not seeing consumers themselves return. And suddenly it was a very worry, I think, is sort of what took hold in in the small business community that, you know, not only are we we not going back to where we were, but that this new reality that we're in is, is sluggish and is going to stay that way. And that's going to force a lot of difficult decisions for business owners.
0: Can we quantify this uh, new reality? Like, what kind of sense do we have of how much uh, consumer behavior has changed, uh, what revenues are like for businesses. I understand it vary industry to industry, but like when you when you look at uh, an area of businesses as a whole, um, what's missing?
1: As much as we can, we're serving our members, trying to get a feel for their, their day-to-day, month-to-month on the ground. And we know that about only half of businesses are sort of back to what they would consider normal revenues, uh, sort of pre-pandemic uh, revenues. We know that you know, from a, a foot traffic sense, and a uh, you know those like the office towers have fallen into their cadence in downtown cores, where the the five days a week just isn't isn't coming back, and that sort of plateaued. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that even with. Uh, the benefit of having some time. um small business pandemic related debt is still sitting around ninety dollars hundred thousand dollars, which is is more than the entirety of that sixty thousand dollars SIBA loan. so we know that there was additional debt uh, that was taken on. And now we are starting to see, you know, insolvency and bankruptcy numbers come out, which are worrying, but also importantly only tell a small fraction of the story because we know from surveying our members that only about ten percent, um, would go that bankruptcy route if they're going to wind down their business. A lot of them, but 43%, just close it down, sort of go quietly into the night. So I think we're, we're starting to see the ramifications of the businesses that, you know, thought they could make a go or tried to make a go and decided they couldn't. But I think we're still very much at the beginning of that story, not the end.
0: Even though it's a small part of the picture... Explain the insolvencies and the bankruptcies to me. Like, what is it in raw numbers? How does it compare to um, other bad years, I guess?
1: So we've seen, uh, I believe it's year over year, but about a 41% increase Mm. um, in business insolvencies. I think that represents around 4,000, 4,500 businesses. But again, we know that that's not the main route, especially small businesses take. Um, on the flip side of that, which is getting a little bit less of attention, we're also seeing fewer startups than we have uh, traditionally as well. And that's also a little bit concerning. It's sign of the times. I mean, yeah. starting a business is a risk. It's a financial risk. When interest rates are high, there's uh, less appetite to do it. But I think, you know, a lot of times when we see businesses close, one of the things we hear is like, well, there's a, a natural churn mm-hmm. um, that happens. Businesses open, businesses close, it's a circle of life. That is absolutely true. That is something that happens. But I think what we're seeing with this uptick in insolvencies and sort of the, the feeling that a lot of us have as we walk around downtowns, be they large cities or or more rural or smaller areas, um, where we're seeing businesses close is that this is not just business decision. This is not the case of, you know, it's 2024 and someone opened a pager shop. Mm -hmm. You know, bad business decisions happen, but that's not what this is. This is the consequences of two plus years of yo-yoing into lockdown, of being completely shut off uh, from customers, of allowing big businesses to be open a lot of that time. And so we sort of forced a shift in consumer habits, um, really coming home to roost. How
0: can you determine how much of these closures are driven by um, the aftermath of the pandemic, the end of the support programs, and et cetera, and how much are driven by uh, the natural ebbs and flows? Because I know we're in an ebb now. You've mentioned the interest rates, which obviously impact uh, both consumers and businesses. People are not spending as much money. Those things happen, and they have happened in the past, and I would assume you would see uh, insolvencies and closures tick up as well. And you know, there's a difference, I guess, between the unfortunate timing of uh, this affordability crisis and uh, the lack of support coming out of the pandemic.
1: Yeah, it's it's hard to really parse it out and to say exactly, you know, which one was which. It could be, you know, did a business take on a lot of debt during the pandemic? Yes. But had we not been in the, you know, the under the inflationary pressures and the, the uh, interest rate pressures that we've been under, would they been able to make a go of it after? Possibly. It's, Unfortunately, not the the reality that we're at. So it's hard to tell. Um, but we know that heading into that January eighteenth SBA deadline, our numbers showed that about twenty to twenty five percent of businesses were not going to be able to pay it off. And mm. when we hit that deadline, the government's own numbers back that up. So I, I think it is very fair to say that the uptick that we're seeing is a result of some of the programs ending, the the pandemic pressure sort of finally becoming too much. How much of it compared to the other ebbs and flows? How much of it is because we are very much in an ebb right now? That's tough for for us to parse out. It's tough for StatScan to parse out too. But I think it's all all very much factoring in.
0: So obviously, twenty twenty four starting with the repayment deadline for these loans is not uh, does not augur well for the year to come. I guess you mentioned this deadline is something the government had already extended previously. Had they been asked to extend it again and determined that they would not, uh, what have they said about making this the deadline and why?
1: Yeah, so so we uh, were at the forefront of asking for a deadline extension. We wanted to see to the end of 2024, give business owners uh, another year to to be able to get at, importantly, that forgivable portion, right? There is a pretty sizable difference from paying off $40,000 of a loan and not having to pay the remaining 20 because it was forgiven versus taking on the full 60, which is what happens if you miss the the deadline and have the loan. Hmm. Um, So we were very, very much pushing for that. We actually saw a tremendous amount of support in the business community, the restaurants association, tourism association, the chambers of commerce. We even saw all 13 provincial and territorial premiers get on board with that ask and make it federally. The Bloc Québécois was there federally. The NDP, the Green Party, was there federally. But ultimately, the government was only willing to move an additional 18 days hmm. um, off of the original December 31, 2023. Did
0: they give a reason for that?
1: Really, what we seemed to, to hear back there was, you know, this. it's been enough time. They felt that they'd been flexible enough that they really wanted to move on from this. And look, I, as much as anybody out there, would love to stop talking about the pandemic. I would love to put it in the background. But mm-hmm. the reality is, for a lot of small businesses, that impact is still very much there. So many of them lost so much time. I mean, we talk a lot about, uh, you know, restaurants get a lot of attention. Uh, retail gets a lot of attention. Gyms, gyms were closed for the same amount of time. If you right. were an event space, you were not at full capacity for, you know, it was almost three years. It was wild what that impact is. And just reopening is not a silver bullet. And unfortunately, a lot of these businesses can't put it behind them because they're still dealing with that impact day to day.
0: What do you know then about what 2024 will be like, assuming um, this deadline has already passed, it's not going to be extended and, and the government uh, does do away with the forgivable portion of those loans? Have you guys been able to, I mean, probably not put a number on it, but but what's the talk uh, around the association?
1: So I I think there's a lot of concern. I, th- I think when you look at a lot of small business owners, you you can't get into being an entrepreneur if you're not optimistic. You have to believe what you are doing is going to work. That's a natural state of being for them. Sure. We track small business optimism. And again, it has been low. It is starting the year still very low, well below uh, where it uh, historically is across the country. Um, and I think that really is a reflection of the concern of you know, am I going to be able to make it? You've got, yes, the pressures of, of pandemic debt for realistically probably about 200, 250,000 businesses um, who are still going to be carrying that over the next few years, just, just on the SIBA loan side. But you've also got, you know, we saw uh, changes to CPP where that went up in some instances. EI went up in some instances. You pay payroll taxes on employees no matter what. Your your revenue, your profit doesn't matter. The carbon tax is, is going up again. It would have been tough coming off of the pandemic anyway. But the reality that we have now, the global pressures that we're seeing uh, as well, just not a lot of optimism heading into 2024.
0: I want to ask you a broader question about what you see on the ground, what people who are listening to this might be experiencing in their neighborhoods. Um, When you take all of this together, everything from the start of COVID to uh, the lockdowns and, and unlockings and the interest rates and the affordability crisis and everything, What do small businesses in Canadian neighborhoods look like now compared to pre-pandemic? And, you know, what have we lost um, and, and what happens to neighborhoods that have lost them?
1: So I, I think in terms of what it looks like now, I mean, I mean again, we've all experienced it. You're noticing a few more boarded up shops. You're noticing that those are not getting replaced as quickly uh, as, as perhaps they used to. But I, I think you see it too when you're, you know, out and about when the weather is good, when you're out and about in the community where there's not as many people necessarily as there was, the the buzz isn't quite there. And again, it's it's a reflection of the cost of living pinch that we're all going through. But it is having an impact. And I think a lot of the times governments, people, we tend to focus on sort of the the numerical impact, right? And that is not good. But I think what we have lost a little bit in, you know, being cooped up inside and very rightfully, you know, worried about what's happening in our own lives over the last few years is that what small businesses mean to a community is often, it's not overlooked, because that almost implies some intent. We we take it for granted. Hmm. You know, I, I live in in downtown Toronto, but I grew up uh, just outside in Oakville in the suburbs. And one of the clearest memories I'd have in my head is coming home from wherever we were. It was a hockey practice, visiting my grandparents, uh, friends of the family sort of thing. But I knew when I saw the light of the dry cleaners around the corner that I was home. Hmm. Couldn't really tell where I was on the highway or anything like that. But as soon as I saw that business and that light, I knew where I was and that is true of for so many people across the country. Small businesses are markers there are meeting spaces they are the names on the back of our kids hockey sweaters or baseball jerseys. They are ingrained in the community, and when you lose one, you are losing a small piece of the community' soul and that is something worth marking and as best we can, it is worth uh, something worth avoiding because well, there may be a business that replaces it. It may, you know, a coffee shop may be another coffee shop. Mm-hmm. It's not the same. And that that needs to matter.
0: What would help us avoid that? And I ask this, sure, from the government, but they've already made clear, I guess, that the deadline's the deadline um, and the programs are over. But just from communities, uh, from, I guess, the Bank of Canada, who probably everybody wants to lower interest rates. Um, but, you know, how do we avoid this? Are, are the factors just too baked in at this point?
1: But I think there are a few things that people can do. And on the government side, I mean, it's it's the cost of doing business. If it's reducing fees, taxes, there's $2.5 billion of carbon tax money for Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and Ontario that the government has not returned yet. Returning that would be helpful, but anything around cost, that's important. As people, though, and again, with understanding that, uh, totally understand there's a lot of people going through some challenging times um, and might not be able to support with their dollars directly. Mm -hmm. But, you know, one of the first things to go when a business is struggling can be marketing dollars. And the best marketing that a small business tends to get is the word of mouth marketing from their customers. If you talk up your favorite spots, if you let your friends and family know that, the dry cleaner around the corner is fantastic. That coffee shop is great. The butcher is, is a wonderful guy. Uh, kind of thing that really does matter and resonate as much as we can rally around our local spots uh, and remind both the business owner but the community at large what they mean uh, to the community. I think that's something that is is worth doing. And I know I know it sounds a little you know kind of airy and sort of like well that's nice, but does it actually help the bottom line? And I can tell you that. It really, it really does matter. And it's not just the bottom line here. There's also the, the mental health of business owners, the stress that they've been under to see the community rally around, to get talked up um, is helpful on that side too. And again, that, that also needs to matter.
0: Ryan, thank you so much for this. And uh, just to end it on a positive note, there's been a new burger shop and a new ice cream shop, both small businesses opening just down the street from me over the last like three months. So there you go.
1: Fantastic.
0: And a big shopper's truck, Mark. <laughs> Thanks again. Thank you. Ryan Malo, Ontario Vice President with the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. That was The Big Story for more. You can head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. You can also find us if you want to give us some feedback by emailing hello at thebigstorypodcast.ca or by calling 416 935 5935. If you've never left a rating or a review for the big story in Apple Podcasts or Spotify or anywhere else, now is a perfect time to do it. We are looking for feedback. We're looking for you to help other people find this show. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow.